Hey there, welcome back to Alaris Classroom, presented by Alaris North America. We promote international knowledge and skills circulation by matching global leaders with emerging market organizations, and we are glad to have you today. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Alaris Classroom. Today, we have with us Christine Wang, Head of Asia at the Lufthansa Innovation Hub APEC, focused on travel and mobility sector. Christine's previous professional experiences span across management consulting at the Boston Consulting Group, venture built at BCG Digital Ventures, working in tech at Alibaba in China, and running startups such as an AI B2B platform and her own innovation consulting firm, CX Consulting, across Asia. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for having me. Hello, everyone. Awesome. So let's jump right into our first question. We know that you joined Alibaba as a global leadership associate uh, as a stint after your MBA. What made you want to move to China and how would you actually describe that experience? Yeah, Chelsea, that's a very good question. Uh, maybe to take a step back. So my family is actually from Shanghai, but mm. I was born in Germany. And I think because of that link already, I was always very curious to you know, go back to the roots if you want and sort of like understand mm -hmm. where my family is from. Um, and also at the same time, because I've been very focused on open innovation and corporate innovation in general, I was always very curious to understand the digital side of China. And actually in 2014, um, we built a digital health platform in China. And at the time it was with BCD Digital Ventures. And mm -hmm. I had realized that, oh my God, there are these like, you know, big giants like the Tencent and the Alibaba yeah. in the market that actually dominated everything in the startups uh, and mm -hmm. investment space. And so because of that, I was very curious to uh, to learn more about this a very unique Internet ecosystem. And so that's mm -hmm. why when I got the chance to join Alibaba after my MBA, I said, OK, why not try it? Oh, and how was that experience after you actually joined Alibaba? Uh, it was very interesting, I have to say. Um, I was a little bit mindful that I would may I would maybe see a culture shock with me, right? Because I've grown up in the Western world. I don't know how China really works. My Chinese mm -hmm. at the time wasn't really really good, so I was very uh, respectful of that. And then when I joined Alibaba, my experience the first four weeks was very surprising. Because in a way, Alibaba uh, reminded me a bit of perhaps a Silicon Valley type of company. So oh. you had this like one big figure, Jack Ma, right? So a little bit yeah. of Steve Jobs, like, you know, <laughs> like looking up to him, right? He's also called Teacher Ma in Chinese, right? So yeah. a lot of like respect for him as a figure. Um, yeah. Then there was also a, a really hungry, very young, very fast um, culture that you actually experience at Alibaba, which yeah. I think I hadn't really expected. And I thought, OK, it might be very Chinese or very hierarchical. Um, mm -hmm. So I was very surprised at the beginning when I when I you know got into into that type of culture. Mm, interesting. And maybe a little bit more on the work experience. Like what did you actually do there? And did you enjoy that? Yeah. So 
Um, the idea of the global leadership program was really to build uh, leaders um, that could help facilitate between China and a respective market. And mm-hmm. as you can imagine, um, a lot of companies right now uh, have a hard time actually setting foot or being successful in China, especially on the digital and uh, sort of like the tech side of things, because the tech is very, very different in China. But likewise, I think a lot of Chinese companies are struggling with, um, mm. you know, expanding and globalizing. So the yeah. idea of the program was really to bring people in that were fluid in those two different cultures, right? And to really be yeah. able to help foster trust and, and build relationships. So in a way, the role was a business development, but also like a strategy type of role. Mm, interesting. So were you um, tagged to a certain team or did you have the chance to rotate around? Yes, it was a rotational program. So uh, you were able to really like work in headquarters in Hangzhou um, and, and work with top leaders and top teams um, in different types of uh, BUs. Okay, cool. And you've worked in a range of roles and industries so far. Um, what would you say were some of the pivotal moments in your career? Yeah, I I honestly think that going to China was one of them because I think mm-hmm. China China is such a in, an interesting space. It's, mm-hmm. it's so big that the scale of it is just immense, right? Like I mean, in yeah. Europe we talk about adoption rates of oh we're really happy if we have twenty million people on the platform, <laughs> right? In in China it's like seven hundred million, right? That's like a completely different scale, and so that makes it super dynamic and super interesting. But also tiring. And I think what I learned a lot by going to China was really to have patience and Mm -hmm. to be very sensitive towards uh, this very different culture that ironically, you know, I grew up in. But then somehow along the way of growing up, I kind of like lost or forgot about it. Right. So it was very Mm -hmm. interesting to go back to China. I think the second one is definitely when I went into entrepreneurship myself. Uh, the reason I say that is because, you know, I was working with BCG Digital Ventures. And so in a way I thought, oh, I know how to build a startup. I know how everything uh, works. And then once I really dove into entrepreneurship and had my own company, I realized, oh, my God, I felt like a like a newly grad almost. Right. Like <laughs> and, and, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I have an MBA. I did finance. I did accounting. But why why do I look at my tax uh, tax accounts? And I'm like, I have no clue what to do with it. Right. Like I felt like, mm-hmm. like such a newbie, so to speak. <laughs> and I think that was a pivotal moment because I realized mm-hmm. a uh, beyond you know, the the boundaries of my experience or maybe mm-hmm. consulting, there's a whole mm-hmm. different world. And I think entrepreneurship really made me understand that really what business is about is really mm-hmm. hustling, right? And 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 fostering a network and, and talking mm-hmm. to people and business is all about people and and running your own business is a completely different experience. So that definitely mm-hmm. was also a very key moment in my career. Mm-hmm. And did you like it enough to continue or decide that maybe this is not for me? Yeah, I think, I mean, I did entrepreneurship in China. So I was like, you know, I mean, making my life a bit hard maybe because uh, as you can imagine, uh, doing startup in China is already really, compl- sorry, doing startup in general is very difficult. Then doing it in China, I think it just adds to the struggle and hurdles. And then being a foreigner uh, in China is definitely again another 
challenge. So I think after a year or so, I just decided that perhaps China was something that I really, that is very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. But that maybe living in China wasn't something that I wanted privately or in my private life. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I said, okay, maybe, um, maybe it's time for me to find an exit out of China. If I don't want to become a China China expert or live there forever, um, mm-hmm. you need to think about your exit as well. Um, so I think that's definitely one decision point. I think overall, I find that being an entrepreneur is something. It's it's not like something you decide for or not, but I feel like it's just part of your DNA. Like I even now think about different ways of building stuff or mm-hmm. you know, side projects, etc. So mm-hmm. I don't feel like it stops. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a way of life or mindset, yes, rather than just like yeah, doing an activity. Exactly. Okay, and I'm kind of curious. Um, have your career goals changed over time? You know, when people first enter into the workforce, they have like maybe a certain ideal. I want to do this, and I foresee myself doing uh, have a five year, ten year plan. Did you have so- that sort of uh plan for yourself, and did that also evolve over time? Yeah, you know, after China, so I left China two years ago, and I, you know, after twelve years of living abroad, I thought, okay, maybe it's time to settle, go back to to Germany. And mm. uh, I remember this moment in a cafe where I sat there and I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I I realized, you know, that implicitly after I graduated from school, like university, um, I didn't have a very solid plan. But when I look back at it, I, I do think that I I was implicitly following a, a a plan, and the plan was very simple. It was about proving myself, right? And and sort mm-hmm. of like starting to get good brands onto my CV, mm-hmm. you know, and and pretty much any any type of industry. I've probably done a, an internship because I was very curious and I really wanted to learn uh, whether I like that industry or not, right? So. Mm-hmm. Just to name some some companies I worked for, um, I was mm-hmm. at McKinsey, right? I looked at consulting. I was at Procter and Gamble. I looked at consumer. I went to SAP. Wanted to do tech. You know, a, a mm-hmm. lot of different types of industries. So mm-hmm. it was all about proving myself and and getting good brands onto my 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 CV. And mm-hmm. you know, when I went back to to Germany, I was like, okay, now what? I feel a little bit empty. Like, is this still the goal that I wanted to strive for? Yet another brand company to have on my CV and I realized mm-hmm. no this wasn't the goal anymore and mm-hmm. actually my mindset has shifted towards another goal which is to really live up to my full potential mm-hmm. and when I say that what I mean by that is that I think at least in my life there are other parts of my life that are also equally important to my career and so for example in my case it's um music it's my artistic side and mm-hmm. what i mean by living up to my full potential is really to carve um a career and a career routine where i'm also able and have the time to pursue these different sides of me and to really mm-hmm. become a whole person if you want mm-hmm. that's a great lead into the next question Besides being a consultant entrepreneur and a business leader, you're also a photographer and a violinist. So do you have any tips for time management and juggling so many different commitments and interests? Yeah, that's a good question. And I struggle a little bit to answer that one because 
I don't I don't feel like I'm doing anything out of my own personal way, right? It's not like I, mm-hmm. I have like a magic pill and I take it and then you know, bam, I can I can do so many things. I think mm-hmm. it just maybe comes a bit natural to me to be very curious mm-hmm. and to focus on very different things. Um, I guess in a way, combining activities has definitely been one thing that I've been doing. So for example, when I was a consultant at BCG, I would, you know, have a lot of international projects, which enabled me to travel and that traveling enabled me to actually take a lot of photography uh, of, you know, the, the subject or the project I'm doing on the photography side. So combining activities is definitely one thing. I think another thing that I find very important is... Um, maybe at the beginning of a career, one is very scared, right? Like it's like, oh, I need to like put in the hours, I need to show face, etc. And I think early on for me, I realized that I'm just not productive 24 hours, right? And in, in, in a day, and so um, I know my my productive spots, which uh, to me is more, mostly in the morning, and maybe there's a spike. Um, sometime in the afternoon mm-hmm. and that's about it so instead of pushing myself to work until like 12 or 3 a.m or whatever I would just like simply stop and 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 sleep or do sports and so I think that also helps me to be mm-hmm. more mindful of um, you know being more effective with the time I have and yeah. allocate to work and really be brave and and bold enough to say hey i am going to take some time off and, and mm. i don't know, do yoga or like do sports to recharge mm. yeah i totally agree on your last point i feel the same way especially since you know people started working at home from this whole pandemic you kind of get a bit more flexibility over uh, you know which is the time period where i'm really the most productive during the day and i think it makes so much more sense to really just concentrate your efforts on the most productive hours rather than like putting in 12 hours and then end up getting nothing done. That just doesn't really make sense. So yeah, totally agree on that last point. And uh, you've also worked in uh, a lot of different countries. Maybe you would like to share which, uh, which countries you've worked in and which one did you actually really enjoy your time in? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, had a, I had a conversation with a friend about all the different places I lived in. And I realized I had probably moved myself 15 times in my life. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is actually also interesting because you, you realize how much you actually like accumulate over just a period of time, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much every country I, I uh, or every continent I've worked in. So I, I spent three years in the US and New York, San Francisco mm-hmm. and, and Los Angeles. I pretty much all over Europe, of course, because it's easy to travel and to like live um, abroad. I spent a lot of time here in Asia uh, in the last five years, especially in, in China and Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, I think uh, apart from maybe Australia, I've worked with very different types of international clients from these other four continents. Um, I think my most memorable one is probably South Africa. South mm-hmm. Africa, and that's just because I think it's been a while. It's been uh, seven years since I was there last time. And, and Cape Town is, is just very beautiful. And I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this experience, especially because I think I would have never decided myself to work there. And it was just because I had a project and that I was open enough to say, hey, why not just try it? And, and so that's mm-hmm. why I, I really enjoyed that one. 
And and you're based in Singapore currently, right? Yes. And do you see yourself going any to any other country in future? I mean, at this point, I I do think that it's also a bit time to. No, I don't want to say like settle, but like just have a base. And I think changing bases is also very exhausting, right? Because yeah, every time you have to start a restart your social network, etc. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I can, I would try to like at least pick one of the places that I've already lived in. Mm-hmm. So for example, I would probably not decide to move to Buenos Aires. I've never been. I think it's, yeah. it's probably, it sounds amazing, right? But uh-huh. I think that uh-huh. I would want to start from zero again. So mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing that I, I feel like is something that I'm very mindful of. Mm-hmm. But do you think it will be Europe or Asia? You know, I, I come to the realization that probably I need both in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one part of it of why I'm uh, with the Lufthansa Innovation Hub is definitely because I'm passionate about traveling, right? And about the future of traveling. And so uh, definitely, I think because of that, I will I will always have like links and I will always travel between these two worlds. Once we can travel again, of course. And yeah, with, of course. with the pandemic, it's been a bit difficult. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I see from your background that you have worked on some research on open innovation and key success factors for large companies to absorb innovative ideas. Could you just share a little bit on what are some of these key success factors for large companies to be innovative? Yeah, I think, uh, so I mean, just to give a bit of context on that one, um, Mm -hmm. I was always very eager to, to see how innovation or ideas can be absorbed by corporates. So I did a study um, at Columbia University actually back in Mm -hmm. in 2009, which is really early early stage for innovation or corporate innovation to arise. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say there are no, like, you know, there's no silver bullet, of course, right? And it really depends on every corporate and every uh, objective you have with innovation. But Overall and in general, I think there are five elements that I think are very important to consider when thinking about innovation. Definite mm-hmm. and and you know sometimes I joke around and I call them the five P's, uh, which is sort of like the the first P is purpose, right? Like what's the purpose mm-hmm. of your innovation unit or efforts, right? Is it mm-hmm. to incrementally improve your business? Is it to find new business or or what is what is the purpose of it? So to really define that one. Uh, I think people definitely, right? Depending on the um, organization, the industry, you would want to have some outside in people, uh, you know, startup people, et cetera, to really bring Mm -hmm. that agility and that different mindset to the table. Um, Then I think it's uh, processes. So that one is a very important one because I think nowadays everyone realizes the need for innovation and and a lot of people try to get it through startups, but it's really hard to work together or to Mm. get these new products and ideas into the company. So defining an innovation funnel and process, I think, is also really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Then passion is is another one. And passion really stands for... um, culture right like what's the type of culture you create and i think you know in different um research uh, like harvard business review for example um, they talk about uh, love and and fear organizations 
and mm-hmm. peer organization is typically very hierarchical and you're trying to up, uh, maximize or um, minimize risks, right? Mm-hmm. And so passion is important or culture is important to really create this, the right environment for people to try out new things, even though it may, it may fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fifth P to me is really profit. And profit to me means um, in, in what way does this innovation effort unit need to return something to the company, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, after three years, the CFO will knock on your door and be like, hey, yo, what, 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 can, you, what can you contribute to, to my organization, right? And mm-hmm. so thinking about the way and, and it doesn't need to be profit in the in this you know in a in a monetary sense, but could it be strategic? Could it be knowledge? Could it be learning? To really make that clear, I think is also a very important factor. Mm, cool. So yeah, we'll remember five P's. That's easy to yeah. connect with. Okay, interesting. So moving on to sort of career advice, what would be some of your advice for people who are also looking for a global career similar to the one that you have and in terms of like the essential skills or outlook that they should have? Yeah, I I think two things. Um, I make it very simple. Uh, the mm-hmm. first is to cra- craft your own way and the second is to craft your story. Let me comment uh, on those mm-hmm. two. Craft your own way. Um, there is no path for global careers, right? Like there's no like, okay, it's it's not a game and, and you just go from level one to level two and then yeah. you reach the top and that, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Every global career needs to be crafted by yourself. Uh, and I, I give you an example. We were just talking about my research um, on open innovation, right? Mm-hmm. It was not planned. It's not part of my curriculum at university uh, in Germany, but it was just something that I really wanted to do, which is study at a, a American university. At one point in my life, that was my dream. And so um, I, I, I decided, okay, I'm just going to find myself a professor, harass the professor until he invites me. And, you know, at the end, luckily, uh, someone was really interested in my proposal. Mm. And so uh, this professor at Columbia, he invited me to become a research scholar. And so I got an invitation and I was able to also attend some MBA classes. And, and, and that was something that I did because I wanted to do it and nobody told me to do it. There was no one who said, oh, this is, this is what I do. You should also do the same, but it's mm-hmm. crafting my own way. And I think that's really important to, uh, to realize that this is something you need to work for and it's mm-hmm. not, not going to be delivered on a silver plate. Um, the second thing on crafting your own story, I think this is important because if you haven't lived abroad or if you, if you haven't you know, done anything abroad, it's really hard to argue why you're a better candidate than maybe a local candidate. You know, especially uh, here in Asia, I find that the Asian context is so important to be mindful yes. of, right? So it's very hard for a lot of people to break in. So crafting your own story to me means, okay, what do you actually bring to the table that is helpful in such an Asia environment? For example, mm-hmm. for Alibaba, I mean, part of the reason why I got picked was definitely not because of my my, my Chineseness. I mean, there were there were enough other Chin like like you know Chinese local Chinese people that could have mm-hmm. done the job better. But mm-hmm. I brought in um, a Western perspective, or I brought in um, certain skills that they were really interested in, and I think that's mm-hmm. really uh, important to really bring that out and to to be very conscious of what you bring to the table. 
Mm. Yeah, and just um, continuing on that topic, what do you think are some of the the skills or experience that co- Chinese companies look out for uh, when they are considering to hire foreign talents? Uh, as a foreign talent, how do I make a pitch for myself in China? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it it really it's important to understand the strategic need for a particular mm-hmm. role where they look for foreign talents. Uh, mm-hmm. And most often or very likely it's because they want to expand into a Western or a, a, a foreign market and they need the local expertise. So I think, yeah. you know, crafting the story around that is super important because, mm-hmm. um, again, if it was about just domestic China, um, there are enough other people within the market that can do the job better and they have the cultural sensitivity towards it. So mm-hmm. that's number one. Number two, I think, is also to display at least an openness or a cultural fluency of being able to feel good about being thrown into something unknown, being thrown into a different type of culture and being able to succeed in it. Uh, mm-hmm. That, I think, is the minimum. I've, of course, the best is if you had any Chinese a connection, right? Whether it's having spent some time in China and some type of like study abroad or being able to speak Chinese, definitely a plus. Mm. Okay, great. The last question is, what's the greatest piece of advice you yourself have received in the course of building your career? Yeah. So again, maybe two, two ideas here as well. So I think the one big advice that I got very early on in my career was to reach for the stars. It sounds mm-hmm. really simple, but uh, I remember I had a mentor when I was 20. And one day he was like, hey, um, why don't you consider going into consulting? And why don't you consider uh, applying for an MBA? And why don't you like try to go to Harvard? And mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like me and Harvard, like, oh, like, like really, like, am I am I good enough for that? Right, like those 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 uh-huh. were my thoughts, and I was like, oh my god, like like me and doing an MBA, like it, it was such a big thing, right? And and I was like, oh my god, like do I have the right skills, etc. And but but you know the conversation and that thought stuck with me, and mm-hmm. after doing my different internships in different industries, I actually came back and said, okay, I'm gonna go into consulting because I realized, hey, that's really cool. They have programs where they pay my MBA. And why don't I just go, why don't I just go and try to become this type of person that could get into schools like Harvard, right? Like that was kind of my thinking, my thought process. I was like, wow, this is really great. And I think until today, I, I always put myself, I give myself these like aspirational goals because there's nothing to lose. And mm-hmm. in my case right now, uh, I, I want to become a jazz pianist and I want to become mm. a chess grandmaster, right? And it's, it's a <laughs> type of goals. I'm like, oh, are you crazy? But I'm like, okay, why not just like put it out there and see if I can somehow reach them, right? So I think that's one advice that I got, which I thought was very helpful. And maybe if I can personally give an advice uh, is always consider that your greatest weakness is also your greatest strength. Um being Asian or Chinese, 
growing up in a in, in the in a very German environment was very difficult for me because yeah. I was always the only Asian kid in school and I always mm-hmm. thought it was a weakness and I thought it was oh I tried to 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 dye my hair so I don't have black hair you know like like <laughs> things like that but mm-hmm. actually it is also my greatest strength, right? Because I mm-hmm. come in with this multicultural uh, environment and, and background and I have a very different a different type of openness maybe towards the world. And so that's why I think it's so important to uh, to always flip the weakness towards the strength. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very powerful because people just tend to see weakness as something that they want to hide. Uh, it's interesting to see it as a strength and make an advantage instead. Well, thank you for the advice, Christine. And I'm sure our listeners would really enjoy listening to your stories and gain some insight from it. You're very welcome. And thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like it, please share with other people. Bye.